Today on Ag News Daily. Market relationships, maintaining these marketing relationships with the trade is a critical component to what we do. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here with today's edition of the Ag News Daily podcast, and I am not joined by Delaney Howell. Instead, we have brought in Madison Honkamp, our intern for this spring semester. Madison, thanks for taking the time to do the news with me. Yeah, thank you, Mike, for having me. Well, what is going on in the world of Madison Honkamp? How are classes going now that you're back up at Iowa State? They are a little hectic, not going to lie. I have a lot more classes just in one day this semester, it seems like, and But it's going pretty well. I just got back from my Anthropology 201, so it's a little intimidating, but I think I'll get the hang of it. There you go. You're a week or two into it. It'll take a little while to get back into the swing of things. Yeah. Just remember to enjoy college. (laughs) Yeah, it has definitely taken a while to kind of get back going to class, not just kind of going to work at Montrose like I did over break. So. <laughs> right. It's it's good to get back in the routine. And now we're getting you into a whole new routine. We've got you in the routine of looking up agricultural news. Madison, what is the big headline today that's jumping out at you? The crazy one that's kind of been jumping out, um, that Democrats have rejected the White House invitation to talk more about the shutdown. Um, so... This was actually on Tuesday. Um, President Trump invited Dems to attend a lunch just to kind of talk about the border wall and other things for the budget. And they completely rejected him. And he did try to invite more of the uh, more the moderate members of the House. Um, but he was still rejected. So shut down. So the the shutdown continues. Shut down on the shutdown. Exactly. Well, so the shutdown continues, but we do have some news for farmers. We've got a news release from Secretary Sonny Perdue that FSA offices are going to reopen, albeit temporarily, in the next couple days. They are going to be open on January 17th and the 18th, so Thursday and Friday of this week, and then again on Tuesday the 22nd. But... Before you listeners get all excited, think your MFP payments are going to be going through, they won't. Uh, The FSA offices will be open for a very, very limited uh, slate of services. Basically, they're going to process payments that were made before uh, December 31st. They are going to continue expiring financial statements, and they're going to open mail to identify priority items. and then they can release proceeds from uh, the sales of, of loan security by signing checks jointly payable to FSA that are brought into the county offices. So if you've got some grain sales or some livestock sales and you need that FSA signature, this is the time to get into that office. Tomorrow and Friday or next Tuesday, that is the time to get in there, it sounds like. Yeah, and even to add on to that, um I have a similar article pulled up. President Trump is expected later today to sign legislation that will provide federal workers with back pay after the shutdown ends. It was passed by the House and Senate last week. So we're hoping that Trump gives the okay. Yeah, yeah, that would be uh, 
that would at least be a load off for those uh, federal workers who have been on furlough. It would be nice to know that eventually checks will be coming. Yeah, exactly. And I actually have a professor for my 8 a.m. Um, her husband works for USDA. He's in the more genetic side, so he's still working without pay. He still has to go to work every day. Yep, and just not get the paycheck, which... Yep. Uh, Welcome to the world of startups. That's what I've been doing for 18 months <laughs> with the podcast. Um, but no, that you sign on with USDA, I think you expect a paycheck. I kind of okay. knew going into it we weren't going to be getting much of a much of a paycheck. But speaking of paychecks in a roundabout way, a lot of us have been looking to save some pennies by buying higher blends of S ethanol at the gas pumps. E10 or E15 during the winter months are usually a couple cents cheaper than your standard uh, no alcohol added unleaded. And we reported last week or two weeks ago that the EPA was still on track to finish their proposed E15 rule before summer. They were going to roll it out in February. They said despite the partial government shutdown, we are going to be able to get this thing done. Well, New Secretary Andrew Wheeler is testifying before Congress today, and he says that might not be the case. He said the partial government shutdown, quote, originally we were planning on issuing the rule in February. We haven't been shut down as long as the other departments, but we may be slightly delayed at this point, end quote. Basically, he is still looking at rolling the new E15 rule out in time for June when the driving season gets underway and that uh, RVP waiver needs to be issued for ethanol. It just won't quite be ready in February, is what it sounds like according to testi testimony given earlier today. So hopefully they can still get that done, but I suppose the longer this shutdown drags on, the less and less likelihood we actually have of getting that E15 waiver in time for summer, which would be kind of depressing. Yeah, that is a little bit of a setback, especially for those who are looking forward to that. Right. Looking forward to it. And, I mean, we needed the uh, the grain demand. Anything to help consume a little bit more bushels of corn would absolutely be beneficial in this marketing environment. Oh, definitely. What other news do you have for us today, Madison? Well, I have some more, um, again, to kind of go along. A lot of farm groups have been sending millions of funds in commodities overseas and they have not been able to be reimbursed again because of the shutdown but also it it was just wasn't able to do by the USDA uh, now that sounds kind of weird to me Madison so it sounds like they were they were sending this money over to help build up markets and USDA was expected to reimburse them and then even before the shutdown the checks just weren't coming Exactly. So I want, I was just kind of trying to find a little bit more information on it and it came up a little short, but it seems as though it wasn't factored into the budget or it just wasn't allowed by the farm bill at the time. Oh, gotcha. So once the government opens back up, we'll probably get to find out if this new farm bill allows for it. Exactly. Hmm. Gosh, the shutdown certainly is... Uh... It makes reporting data a little bit more difficult since you can't quite get answers to questions you have. I know. I was looking for some more information on it, and it was just the government shut down. I was like, well. Yep, that, that's that. <laughs> I'm getting a lot. Yeah. Well, you know, an uncertainty is, is everywhere in our industry today. Uh, I've got a story here from 
uh, Farmers National Company. They like to release their their land sales reports, and what they're saying is that uh, the volume of land listed for sale is up 21% over a year ago because landowners and inheritors, families and inheritors, are saying, we don't know what's going to happen. Let's go ahead and get this land listed now. So we are starting to see more land come on the market. It's still a very small amount, and that's partially what is helping keep prices up uh, you know, where they have been, despite the, the, the lower trend in commodity prices. But they did say that even though the rate of bankruptcies and forced land sales is low, there is the expectation that we're going to see more of those kind of sales as farmers' cash flows are stressed, and that could put some downside pressure on farmland prices. So their advice is, if you're looking to get out with prices that are still, you know, nearish to the top, I mean, down 15, 25% in some places, now might be the time to get that farm ground listed because we just, we don't know what the future holds. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true for pretty much everybody. We just don't know. Yeah, especially now, it just there's no certainty, it seems like. Yeah, absolutely not. It is just a challenge. Mm-hmm. Well, Madison, do you have any other news stories for us? I just have one more that I thought was just a little interesting. Um, it was about women actually returning to the farm for management roles. And you don't see a lot of women returning to farms. You do see a lot of men, especially here at college. You, almost all the guys in my class are returning to the back home to the family farm to take over from their parents. Um, but most women are going into business. So I just kind of thought that was um, interesting. And it even states that 31% of all U.S. farmers and ranchers are women. Yes, which I thought was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. The statistic that jumped out of me was that 44% of all FFAers in the country are women. Yeah, I definitely thought that was interesting because that was not the case for my high school. <laughs> <laughs> well, so listeners, Madison and I graduated from the same high school. We're both proud Winterset Huskies, but when <laughs> I graduated, we didn't even have an FFA program. Yeah, the FFA program started, I believe in the 70s but then it stopped and started back up in 2007 with um yeah just our teacher wanted to start it back up and so we did yeah yeah that was seven or no that was four years after i graduated they uh, they got it restarted but uh yeah very cool to see women and young women in particular getting more active in agriculture listeners if you're a woman or young woman who has taken over the management roles or is participating in management on the farm let us know we'd love to chat with you you can find us on facebook and on twitter at ag news daily just search for that and and we'll pop up and let us know what life is like for you well With that, Madison, what do you say? Should we jump in and talk about the markets? Let's do that, Mike. And our markets are brought to us today, like every day, from our good friends at the Zaner Group. Get in touch with Zaner to manage your marketing risk by giving them a call at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at zaner.com. Taking a look at the markets today. March corn up two and three quarter cents at 374 even. The May up two and a half to finish at 382 and a quarter. Soybeans finally a little rebound. The March contract up one and a quarter cents at 894 and a half. The May up one and a quarter at 908 
even. In Chicago wheat, the March contract up one and a half cents at 512 and a half. The May up two cents to finish the day at 518 even. Jumping over to the world of livestock, we've got mixed trade in the cattle complex, with live cattle showing a little strength and feeder cattle showing a little weakness. The February live cattle contract was up 87.5 cents at 127.82.50. The April up 30 to close at 127.72.5. In feeder cattle, the March contract down a nickel at 144.70, with the April up a nickel to finish the day at 145.55. And in lean hogs, weakness today with the February contract down $2.10 at 60.05. The April down $1.8750 to close the day at 65.07 and a half. Jumping over to the dairy market, January class 3 milk up a penny at 14.06 with the February down 8 cents to finish the day at 14.26. For our interview today, we're going to hand things off to our field reporter, Bruce Gorder, who had a conversation with Ed Beeman from the U.S. Soybean Export Council. The United States Soybean Export Council works closely with other soybean organizations to promote soybean exports around the world. Ed Beeman is the Senior Director of Market Development and a Regional Director of the Asia Subcontinent Region for the organization. And I talked to him and asked him to tell us about the organization and what they do. Yeah, so uh, USEC, as we refer to the United States Soybean Export Council, is an organization that is uh, specifically designated to be the international marketing arm for what we call the soy family. The soy family being the United Soybean Board, the American Soybean Association, and the various qualified state soybean associations around the nation. What's the objective of the organization? differentiate and add value to U.S. soybeans around the world. And it's a relationship-building arena, the marketing and exports, uh, building relationships with the countries you're working with, isn't it? It really is. I mean, uh, uh, maintaining, maintaining market relationships, maintaining these marketing relationships with the trade uh, is a critical component to what we do. And overcoming market access issues is another critical component to what we do. Without those relationships, um, we're not nearly as effective as uh, we could otherwise be. And, and to strengthen those relationships, we have a team of employees and contractors around the world in all the major soy buying countries of the world. Um, that are locals in many cases uh, who can build those relationships and maintain those relationships even in times of, of uh, crisis or, or a change in the marketplace. How important is the export market to the U.S. soybean farmer? It's vastly important. It's the number one U.S. export commodity value-wise out of USDA, and uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 60% of the soybeans that we grow are exported to various markets around the world. And where do you get your funding from? And if part of that is government funding, how is the shutdown affecting you? Yeah, I'll start on the first part of that <laughs> first. So uh, about 60% of our funding comes from the United Soybean Board through their checkoff programs. And uh, USEC being the primary contractor for international marketing, um, uh, we write proposals. Those proposals are reviewed by the farmer boards and committees. And um, uh, if those proposals are accepted, then USEC implements those programs around the world. And about 60% of our funding comes from that organization. The other, let's say 40, uh, let's say the other 40% or high 30s uh, comes from USDA through our FAS programs, uh, foreign ag 
uh, foreign ag service um, and they have FMD and MAP and various programs under that umbrella. Uh, but we get another uh, almost 40% of our funding from that uh, entity. Those are taxpayer dollars. And as a result of the government shutdown, we don't have access to those dollars right now. So our marketing year for those programs typically begins on October 1. Um, for some funds, it's it's a little bit later, Jan 1, uh, but generally October 1. Um, so we start our programs then, and we uh, here we are the middle of January, and uh, we don't have funding yet for those programs. So we do a lot within USEC to try to optimize the other funds that we have available for us so that we can keep these business relationships going, keep our boots on the ground going, and keep our operations going, even if at a minimal level during the shutdown. A couple of questions about China and trade in China. Right now it's up in the air, as as we all know. But is there work going on with organizations like yourself in China right now? Um. There's work going on in China right now with uh, USTR, of course, um, and and the various organizations that are involved are involved at a level of if we're requested to provide input, to provide um, information and knowledge. Um, our role is frankly, let's let the negotiators do the negotiating and let's continue to work within the marketplace to maintain those strong business relationships that we do have so that when we come to a new normal, whatever that new normal is, we're, we, we will be ready as USEC and as the U.S. soy family, we'll be ready to take advantage of whatever export opportunities we have in China. Um, so directly, no, that's not our job, but indirectly to build these relationships and to maintain these relationships is a critical part of what we do. What are some of the things that USEC can do right now to overcome the deficiencies with what China is not buying from what they used to? Yeah, we have a number of programs going on right now. Unfortunately, a couple of them are are tied to uh, USDA funding, and so um, We've had to put those on hold for the moment until the funding situation is resolved with the government shutdown. We do have a farm bill. I mean, the good news is the farm bill was approved. The bad news is the farm bill was approved, and then we went into government shutdown. So some of the things that we're doing right now are are um, what we call our What It Takes initiative. And uh, all of our teams around the world have been challenged to um, take the gap, the soybean sales gap, that, that exist as a result of uh, China not buying as much as they used to and work very, very hard in our specific regions to build the export market for U.S. soy and in so much as possible try to overcome this 20, 26 million metric ton gap uh, that, we're, that we're facing. Um, I think it's a good program. So the program involves direct one-on-one meetings. The program involves large uh, trade servicing events where we're bringing buyers and sellers together from all over the world so that we can really have an opportunity both one-on-one and in a group setting to help people better understand the overall value of U.S. soy. 
both the intrinsic and the extrinsic value of U.S. soy. So our shipping, our contracting, our reliability, our availability, those things on the extrinsic side, our boots on the ground, these contractors around the world, that's a real value that the competition doesn't bring to the table. But in addition to that, U.S. soy has some intrinsic values. Uh, its, amino, its essential amino acid profile is superior to the competition. Its digestibility, especially in young pigs, is superior to the competition. Um, frankly speaking, if we could talk to the animals, they would tell us that they prefer U.S. soy over competition soy. So we'll continue to do those things. We're continuing to make plans for having even more robust programs going forward along those lines as soon as the, uh, as soon as the government shutdown ends and we get our uh, FAS funding. With everything that's up in the air right now, Ed, is is it possible to look into your crystal ball and, and predict the future of export market for soybeans? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, um, I think all we can do is do what we do best, and that is uh, bring the right people to the right place at the right time to talk about the overall value of U.S. soy. Um, the market is always going to be the market, and uh, there are certain price gaps that we can overcome by these extrinsic and intrinsic values that I talked about. Um, But that's only to a certain degree. And so uh, to be able to predict, I mean, my own personal belief is China will probably not go back to what it was before. Um, If it does, that's great. You know, that would be wonderful uh, because that would just trigger the market to to, uh, respond. And uh, the U.S. would have a real advantage in, in that. Um, if it doesn't go back to what it was before, then all of our efforts that we're doing right now to, to build long-term sustainable markets in the marketplace that we didn't have as large a footprint in prior are going to pay off. Um, you know, we, we're sort of fond of saying there's probably no silver bullet, but there might be a lot of silver buckshot. And uh, by that I mean we're probably not going to completely, we're not going to find a country that's going to replace China. But we can find several countries that um, if we can initiate our protein pull program, many of the countries in the basic market space that we are focusing efforts on right now are protein deficient. In fact, all of them are. So if we can work with the government, work with local trade associations, work with the soy value chain, and build a, a protein demand model that where we have protein pulling U.S. soy through the value chain, I think that's our best possible um, outcome uh, from this work uh, because we all know that soy is, if not the most, one of the most efficient sources of protein available. Um, so we're looking forward to those opportunities in these basic markets uh, where there's growing economic uh, incomes. Uh, there's a young population. Uh, there's changing diets from traditional diets into more pro- uh, animal protein-based diets. Uh, we're working with other cooperators to uh, build programs that can help also bring more, for example, in India, more U.S. poultry into the marketplace and at the same time improving the poultry production supply chain of the Indian marketplace. Building these coalitions and building these partnerships will ultimately cause 
organizations within those countries to go to their governments to start trying to overcome some of the non <clears throat> some of the uh, market access issues such as GM bans and high tariffs on the import of meal or DDGSs or other component products. Comments there from Ed Beeman. He is a director with United States Soybean Export Council. I'm Bruce Gorder for Ag News Daily. Well, thanks to Bruce Gorder for bringing us that report there with Ed Beeman. And, boy, it'd be great to get some some good news here if this China situation would turn around and we could start selling beans in a large number. But, Madison, if listeners want to turn to our website in a large number, where should they go? They can find us at agnewsdaily.com, and they can also interact with us on Facebook and Twitter at Ag News Daily. Fantastic, folks. Check that out. And Madison, with that, what do you say? Should we let people go? Let's let them go. 